0: had the injuries to Kenny Clark and and uh, you know Mike Daniels so yeah it was definitely a consideration there but with the one time out and then uh, you know ability to stop the clock at the two minutes so we, we played we played the numbers but um, we considered taking the time out there and going for it on fourth and two and that is where we begin with the ballot of the Green Bay Packers in their season of disappointment Mike McCarthy Mike McCarthy who people have long Grudgingly credited with some of the Green Bay Packers' success. I've always wondered exactly what the appeal of Mike McCarthy was, and I've read gushing think pieces in off seasons uh, about how he has helped bring Aaron Rodgers along. And now, for some reason this year, collectively everybody's decided oh, wait a second maybe Aaron Rodgers not winning a Super Bowl in the last nine years or all that many playoff games has a little something to do with the fact that they run all these isolation routes. They bring in young wide receivers. There's no complexity or layers to the offense. They never seem to develop anybody beyond just relying on the brilliance of Aaron Rodgers. And lo and behold, last night, the defense is getting gashed, uh, just run upon in the second half to losing the physical battle. It's a team that's a shell built around Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers is the nucleus, and everything else is mediocre and sad uh, other than when they have their healthy weapons there. So Aaron Rodgers frustrated afterwards. But you hear Mike McCarthy's explanation for why he didn't go for it on fourth and two with four minutes left in the fourth quarter. The Packers were deep in their own territory. I don't know what statistics he's citing necessarily. With that much time left and one time out, Uh, fourth and two with Aaron Rodgers at the helm, seems like a pretty acceptable risk, especially since every excuse you just laid out there, given your injuries and whatnot, would also be a reason that you shouldn't be able to expect to stop the Seahawks, who had just had two drives, one uh, long field goal drive, a 13-play field goal drive, and then a seven-play touchdown drive. Those were Seattle's two previous drives against you, 10 points, 20 plays. They were winning the fourth quarter in an extreme fashion. You had a chance to continue that drive at fourth and two. These were the drives in the second half for Green Bay. Punt, 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 field goal. And the field goal drive took six minutes and 30 seconds. So the thought that they were going to punt, pin the Seahawks down, force another punt, and then drive again for a field goal to tie it at that point or maybe a touchdown to win – doesn't seem like the math supports it at all. And frankly, again, Aaron Rodgers is the strength of your team. It's fourth and two. Have a play ready. Get ready to go. If you have to use the timeout because you weren't ready, uh, so be it. But I would like to think that Aaron Rodgers could get up, call a play, have a hot call called, have uh, have something ready, and just go for it. But more than anything, and this is a long-standing philosophy of mine, if you want to know whether a coach made the right decision or not, what did the opposing coach want him to do? Did he give the opposing coach Pete Carroll standing on the other sideline? Did Mike McCarthy give Pete Carroll what he wanted? I don't know. Let's hear it from Pete. Are you
1: surprised? Relieved that the Packers didn't go for it there on fourth and two? knowing they only had a
0: oh, you know, I was relieved. <laughs> I was. I was. I really did like that that they punted the ball to us right there, because um, we knew that we had a shot then. You know, to, to kill the game if we could and kill the clock, and we did it. So there you have it. Mike McCarthy gave Pete Carroll exactly what he wanted, which was an opportunity right there to seal the game, which they did. Uh, They just just had done what they had been doing, kept doing what they'd been doing the whole quarter long. This is what Green Bay Packers fans need to be excited about. Mike McCarthy will likely be gone at some point either this season or Green Bay seems like the type of organization that's going to do it after the season, um, try, to, try to do it in as classy fashion as possible if, if there's any classy way to fire somebody. Regardless, Aaron Rodgers is 34 years old, which used to sound old 34 actually 32 is the age where you used to be able to point to a lot of quarterbacks and say well that's where the decline started look you can see at 32 the physical skill started to diminish and you can't you keep getting injured and that's where this or that guy dropped off we're seeing that less and less because physically quarterbacks are just protected more than they used to be I think the mental game has become that much more important so being smart trumps Being a little bit slower or not not having as live an arm, so Aaron Rodgers conceivably has at least six, seven, eight years left of really high productivity with a good offensive coordinator. And it'll be fun. This will be a fun discussion moving forward. I kind of hope that the Packers stink. I, I am a fan of Aaron Rodgers, even though I said this morning to my co-host Mike Meltzer that he's Russell Westbrook on a football field. That was mostly just a jab at Mike Meltzer. Uh, but the extreme physical gifts, the individual highlight reel in the absence of ultimate team success other than the one time... Ah, there's there's a little bit of an argument there. There are a whole lot of other reasons they aren't the same, aside from it being just a different sport. This was the other this was the other hot topic that came up in the NFL. As the Kansas City Chiefs are about to take on the Los Angeles Rams in Los Angeles, because the stadium uh, in in Mexico City was deemed not suitable for use. Uh, but this is what everybody had to talk about: was what does Patrick Mahomes put ketchup on? I don't think it's that weird, but I put it on my ma- macaroni and cheese. But people seem to think that's a, a weird thing. Some people think that's disgusting, but I mean, it's good to me. <laughs> Uh, not really. I do I have hunts, I do Hines, I do I do it all. Uh my favorite probably is the Whataburger ketchup. Um that's what te- Texas people would know that. Listen Pat Mahomes, I'm gonna tell you this. People who criticize people who put ketchup on things are doing one of two things. One is that they're just trying to be snobby and trying to make themselves feel better than you and, and express some kind of disgust and derision. They're, they're abhorred... Abhorrent? It's abhorrent that you would uh, try to do something, you would douse something that's otherwise flavorful with something that also happens to be flavorful. The argument would be that the ketchup just overpowers whatever you're eating and you can't taste the natural flavors. That would be the second argument, is if somebody actually wants you to enjoy the food better... I can remember being shamed out of eating my steak well done. And to be honest, I'm glad that I was shamed out of it. I never used to understand what the big deal about steak was because I got it well done. And a really, really good piece of steak well done is in some ways indistinguishable from a really crappy piece of steak marinated well done. When I started to eat it medium rare out of shame with, uh, I can't even remember, it was probably Jeff Logaman or some uh, some old vet that I, that I had there in Jacksonville. I really learned to appreciate good steak. So there are some things in life that you're missing out on if you douse ketchup on everything. As far as the Whataburger goes, I think what uh, Patrick Mahomes knows that there are Whataburgers along the Gulf Coast, also some in Jacksonville. There are eight Whataburgers in Jacksonville, courtesy of Tony Baselli, Mark Brunel, and a few other guys who put them there in two thousand, the mid two thousands. And Famously, it didn't work out so great. And I still I feel like the fact that there are still eight Whataburgers there is vindication for Tony and Brunel because a lot of people looked at that failed real estate investment and thought that oh Tony and Mark had made some dumb investment. When in fact they had just made the mistake of buying real estate. In Florida in the mid-2000s at mid-2000s prices. The crash happened. The leases were ridiculous and out of whack. But the idea of putting Whataburgers in Jacksonville, actually, obviously, as we sit here over 10 years later, uh, it was a good move. People in Jacksonville, it took a while. Uh, the, it took a while I had to explain to people because I was living in Jacksonville for a spell when they put those in I had to explain to people, look, the drive through is not fast food, you just happen to have a more comfortable place to sit and wait in your car because you're not going to get it fast, don't get frustrated about that, and then obviously Whataburger is a great burger and there's other reasons to love it the ketchup, one of them, the condiments uh, they, they put a little bit more thought uh, they put a little bit more complexity into some of their condiments so one of the more notable games this NFL weekend, which doesn't seem to be attracting a lot of attention nationwide, and I understand why, but it's a big deal here locally, is the Washington Redskins versus the Houston Texans. Two six and 6-3 teams that nobody genuinely believes are 6-3 and three football teams. I think the difference is that Houston has a really strong argument that they could keep getting better as the season goes on because Deshaun Watson has gotten better as the season has gone on. Whereas with the Washington Redskins, you're seeing a scaled-down version of Alex Smith in this offense uh, behind an offensive line that this week is going to be without three of its starters. They lost two of them for the season, and uh, the left tackle there, Trent Williams, is going to be out, going versus a very stout Defensive front slash defensive line. Clowney Clowney's technically an outside linebacker. He's a defensive end. So that defensive line going versus the Washington Redskins front should be a pretty ugly proposition. And the Texans should take care of business with this team. The one concern, as always with the Texans, is that their offensive line, though improved, and though benefiting from playing in front of an increasingly mobile Deshaun Watson – still is not an elite unit. And those Washington Redskins defensive uh, front players, they can rush the passer. So that becomes the huge question, is how well can they protect Deshaun Watson? Uh, Bill O'Brien, to his credit, Has done a lot of stuff to help protect him these last few weeks. Uh, They've used the tight ends in pass protection. They've used the running backs in pass protection. I would like to see those guys get a little bit better at blocking and then releasing on a hot route um, and giving Deshaun some more options for checkdowns. And Deshaun obviously is still progressing as a young quarterback. He's He's got one full season under his belt now to where okay he's got he's got a full season's worth of football games between last year's half season and this year's half season and he's starting to do some of the things that you want to see a second year player do but he's still got some developing to do as every young quarterback does whether it's Peyton Manning or Tom Brady or anybody else it takes some time but if the game is to be won in the trenches and these are two these are two very old school style teams the Texans defense is Basically built to be a great defense in the 1990s. They got big, beefy dudes all up the middle. Um, They can rush the passer really well. They don't have a blistering amount of speed on the back seven, but hopefully they can just play solid enough and not get burned deep. Washington has the home field advantage, but I think I feel pretty good about the Texans winning this week. That's my little bit of local bias for you non-Houston listeners. The other piece of drama that came out of this week was DJ Swearinger, who spent his first few years in the league here, claiming that Bill O'Brien had once told him he wouldn't last three years in the NFL. DJ did bounce around a little bit. He's now on his fourth team, but he's turned himself into a very good player. Look, DJ was, uh, he was a character. He was a colorful personality who showed a lot of promise as a football player, but who also wasn't all that professional off of it, as a lot of young guys aren't, but he really had some growing up to do. He was late. Um, He had public incidents that both legal and illegal um but he was in the paper a little bit too much for bill o'brien's liking there was an incident where it it seemed an awful lot like bill o'brien at a coaching clinic was telling a story about a second round player who refused to play special teams and it seemed to match up pretty well with that player being dj swearinger so um it's, it's curious that DJ has a chip on his shoulder about Bill O'Brien, but he's that kind of player. It should make for a whole lot of fun. I think DJ was going to be motivated regardless. Even if, uh, if Bill O'Brien had been the nicest guy on earth to him, the Texans still released him. And you're, you're going to see what DJ Swearinger always is, super motivated. Uh, I just don't think it's going to be enough as long as they take care of Deshaun Watson. But enough about me and my petty concerns and desires and wants and needs. It's time to talk to Sean Pendergast. Sean uh, was already 1-0 and by the time I talked to him today because he had picked the Seahawks in the game in the Thursday night game. Thursday night football, by the way, as I tell Sean, uh, Thursday night football has turned into this revelation. This thing that used to be despised, that used to be like the cousin that you were embarrassed by, and then all of a sudden you realize, though, the cousin started, uh, he has a startup in Silicon Valley, and he's worth $300 million. That's what the Thursday Night Football has turned into, except thurs- technically they're worth Billions of dollars, right? The contract they signed. So uh, Sean was 1-0 when I talked to him today. He has some college picks. He's got his NFL picks. He's doing very well on the season, so listen closely. If you want to win riches today, call my 1-900 number. All right, Sean Pendergast. We do this on a Friday this week, which means we get the rare pleasure of already seeing the results of one of your games because you had picked the the Thursday night football game. I did. And You were victorious. Yeah. You picked the you picked the Seahawks in that game.
1: I did. Yeah. I did. Thankfully, I thankfully I didn't uh, I didn't do the college game because I. Uh, I have a season win total bet on Tulane, so I was rooting for them against the Cougs last night. Oh, really? Purely selfish reasons, yeah.
0: We'll get into the Thursday night football game in a little bit. Yeah. Um, how are you? How did you do last week overall with your picks?
1: Not very well on the picks that I gave out as my best bets on this podcast and on the Houston Press. I went 1-4-1, and, and being fully transparent, my one win was like last night's win, as you mentioned. I picked the Seahawks last night, minus 2.5 over the Packers. They won by 3. Mm-hmm. My only win last week was the Colts, who were kind enough to beat the Jags by 3 points. Uh, minus 2.5 there. My losses, this is the nice thing about gambling, Seth, is it when you lose, it doesn't matter if you lose your bet by a point or by 30 points. A loss is a loss. There's That's no true. magnitude. Yeah. You got a
0: pass-fail system. Yeah, it is. You a didn't predict the score. Thank or God.
1: Thank God, because as you know, one of my picks last week, total spot pick, and by spot pick I mean I don't necessarily like this team very much, but. It was a play against the Saints because of this sandwich situation that they're in, in between the Rams game and the Eagles game. Traveling to go play the Bengals up, a, I thought there'd be, a, thought there'd be a bit of a letdown, maybe, or they'd take their foot off the gas pedal instead. They score fifty-one points. I'm intrigued. I by missed your, uh... by thirty-nine and a half points on that pick. <laughs> yep. I,
0: I'm, I'm intrigued by the blowout theory too, because I feel like it had an effect on the Panthers game, which is also one of your picks. We'll get into that later. Yeah, this is the most pressing thing on the minds of so many Americans. <laughs> Uh, this morning we actually spent more time than probably we should have talking about the University of Houston and Ed Oliver and the fact that Coach Major Applewhite tried to take his jacket off of him in the in the first half. So we talked about uniform violations for like a oh. good portion of our show today. Yeah. For a little bit we touched on this, but Notre Dame is near and dear to your heart as yeah. you're an alumnus. Um, the nation is up in arms about Notre Dame's uniforms that they're wearing for this this New York Yankees. St- Stadium Classic versus Syracuse. Yeah, what what the hell are these things? They- I, I, like I said, they look like a platypus. Like they <sighs> look like they've grabbed areas, just like a platypus. Grabs body parts from all these different animals. Yes. I can't remember which comedian started that that bit. I didn't, that know, bit. Yeah, I didn't know
1: that about the platypus. Yeah, oh, you're talking about the way about, the platypus looks. The platypus looks like it it's borrowed like, it's from like, like all of God's part spare parts. Part duck, part otter, yeah. like part of uh, a badger and things like that. That's yeah. what
0: this looks like. Yeah. It looks like they've got baseball pants. The the logo on the side of the helmet yeah. The Notre Dame is. Am I right? They've never had. They've never their traditional
1: helmet has always been a gold helmet. Now right. this, it's this. Here's the issue, it's this Shamrock series that they play now. They their schedule now. They you know they're an independent, so their schedule has a lot more flexibility built into it than your than your average uh, power five football team. So they play five games against the ACC every year. Fight you know, there's there's 14 teams. They rotate five different teams, and that's what this is an. This is one of those games. Syracuse is in the ACC, um, but embedded in that are they make some of these games neutral site games, and they call them the Shamrock Series. And part of the Shamrock Series is they traditionally play these games in a venue that's kind of unique, whether it's an NFL stadium. They played a game in Fenway a couple years ago. This one, as you mentioned, is in Yankee Stadium. The other part of it is they massacre – (laughs) <laughs> the traditionally great Notre Dame uniform by doing so many things to it. So the original answer to your question is the only time I've ever seen anything on a Notre Dame helmet in my lifetime has been in these Shamrock series games where a couple of years ago they slapped a giant clover on the side of the helmet. And I just feel like this isn't even a this isn't even like a Notre Dame grad being traditional or an old guy being get off my lawn. I feel like the Notre Dame uniform, the regular Notre Dame uniform, is one of the great uniforms in college football with the gold pants and the gold helmet, the dark blue shirt, no name on the back, the – Nice, white,
0: readable numbers. There's still that part of it where, I guess, where you're trying to appeal to the younger generation. That's all it is. This is where us middle-ages always screw it up, though. It's that whereas Oregon will have, like, the the shiniest space-age materials that they mix into the paint and everything, um, or Baylor and some of their uniforms. Versus this, this just looks like an abomination, and it's it's not offensive to me because it, Bucks tradition, it's offensive to me because I have eyeballs. Yes. Like how do you how do Dude. you botch the execution of it so poorly? The
1: funny thing is people sending it to me on Twitter like I'm gonna stick up for it or something. <laughs> this this uniform was actually revealed before the season and it didn't get a lot of traction because people aren't one, people aren't thinking about college football at that time. Two and Notre Dame was probably at the back end of the top 25. Nobody had high expectations for Notre Dame. Now, all of a sudden, this is a game that has major implications for the college football playoff, for the New Year's Six Bowls. Look, if Syracuse pulls off the upset, this isn't just an upset they're pulling off. They'll probably move into the top 10 in the country and maybe get a really good bowl bid, um, even though they're not going to win the ACC title. They could get an at-large. So so it's it's a game with some ramifications. But, yeah, the, that the uniform – and those schools you named, like Oregon and Baylor – those are schools that have had their moments, some more sustained than others, but those are schools that kinda need that gimmicky stuff to to attract yeah. uh, you know, the the millennial recruits yeah. that make decisions on things like uniforms. And there are plenty of them out there, make no mistake. Those
0: schools are shooting their shot. Yeah. Like in a, in a way, in a yeah. manner. And, and, and uh, whereas Notre Dame is Notre Dame. Yeah, there's yeah. there's a
1: tradition to it. My biggest thing my biggest thing about this uniform, understanding fully where Notre Dame stands on the landscape with a lot of the regular Joe out there, is that could you – is there any way you could make the uniform – culturally less likable like it's notre dame and the <laughs> I yankees know, I know, I know. like when why not just slap a dallas Cowboys star on the helmet while you're at it have draymond green be the the model for it very you?
0: few government institutions are as solid as the irs <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> like instead of u.s
0: postal you have the irs right, right.
1: right. The, the shamrock series brought to you by the internal revenue service
0: so you're taking syracuse plus 10 over notre i am dame.
1: yeah that's one of my picks this weekend and it's uh, um,
0: and this is a let – me, let me get this right. It's a yeah. true neutral site game. Neither team is giving up a home game or anything for this. Not no. Not that that matters.
1: No, it's a neutral site Notre game. Notre
0: Dame's the home they, – they're going to have the home field advantage, they right? Will.
1: They, they even will. Though, even
0: though it's close to Syracuse.
1: They they will, although there's – you know, one of the big topics within the Notre Dame community about this game, Seth, is the, at, the athletic director's catching a lot of heat right now because this was supposed to be a Notre Dame home game. It's technically a Notre Dame home game in terms of it's going to be broadcast on NBC – um, my guess is they get the choice of what uniforms they're going to wear. So from the – just administratively, other than the stadium it's being played in, Notre Dame's being treated like the home team. The athletic director's catching a lot of heat right now, though, and a lot of it is obviously hindsight being twenty twenty. But they moved this game to Yankee Stadium as a marketing move. Mm-hmm. You know, they, this game could have, maybe even should have been played in Notre Dame Stadium, but – I don't think the athletic director figured that Syracuse was going to be as good as as they were. I think he probably hoped that Notre Dame was going to be as good as they've been, but deep down he's probably thinking, eh, we'll probably at that point in the season we'll be, you know, maybe at best 8-2, and two, you know, because they – their schedule has had a lot of big names on it this year that just haven't been as good as they normally are. They played Florida State last week; they beat them by four touchdowns. When you have Florida State on your schedule and you're looking at it two, three years right. out, you're going, "That's Florida State." You're thinking Jimbo Fisher's still going to be the coach there. Stanford is always good and plays Notre Dame really well. Michigan was on the schedule, so deep down, the athletic director's looking at this, going, "Okay, well, how can I do this to where we uh, we accomplish our marketing goals? We put it in a part of the country where our they have a big fan base in New York yeah. City. Notre Dame does." where we can put it where some of our fans in that part of the country can go see the game, and yet we're still going to win the game. It's all kind of played out. Look, the Notre Dame community is happy, obviously, to be in the playoff hunt, but this game – was made they, a lot of people are viewing it as them having made this needlessly dangerous now, and and
0: this was meant to be almost like, a, like in a weird way, almost like a a homecoming away from home, kind of, yeah. where the Syracuse would be a respectable enough opponent, but one that you could handle. Yeah, they,
1: they they're not doing what the SEC does this weekend, where everybody's playing like the JV team yeah. of local high schools. You know, the Alabama's playing the Citadel yeah. this week, and they're not doing that. But yeah, they 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 go okay. Well, this is a Power Five team. It's Syracuse. It's a name.
0: Right. You couldn't really schedule a. A mid-major, yeah. in, uh, in Yankee Stadium. Yeah, pro-
1: you, right, right, right. So, and and but to your to your original point about the the, the maybe the the environment there, how's it going to feel? It'll be a Notre Dame home game, but not nearly to what it would have been if Syracuse had just been a normal Syracuse team mm-hmm. this year. I think there's going to be, I think Syracuse is going to probably represent pretty well at that game. Well, better than. Certainly better than we thought they would at the beginning. Of the I year.
0: work in sports media, so I know a lot of Syracuse alum, <laughs> and I, I, okay. I would sense I gauge whether Syracuse is for real or not almost by their grudging acceptance of Syracuse being a good team. Is, nobody so you- nobody will fight you more on whether Syracuse is legitimate. Okay. Than a,
1: is Syracuse even the favorite football team of either of your co-hosts that went to Syracuse? I don't think so, right?
0: Yeah. I like I think uh, Paul's a Florida fan and well, Mike, Mike is ha- Ma- a, he's a Michigan. If you
1: didn't know Mike went to Syracuse, you yeah. just went based on his football takes and his football emotion, you would think he went to Michigan. But
0: Syracuse is that kind of school. Now and I think it's more and more like that with kids that I think a lot of kids are big-time football fans of some school other than the one they go to. Yeah, because they just uh, it's become much more of a national phenomenon than back in the day.
1: Yeah, and I've got a few. I mean, I have kids in college now, so I root for the schools that they go yeah. to and stuff like that. I'm not. I'm not nearly. I'm not nearly as emotional about it as I used to be. Like in Notre Dame, up until about probably ten years ago, like would ruin Sundays for me. You know, I it, I would oh, carry yeah. it over into Sunday. I'd be so mad. But you reach a point where you're going, okay. Well, it's There's more important things. I'm
0: not typically a fan of football games played in baseball stadiums. Um, It's just they're bad sight lines. It's bad for the players on the field themselves because you're playing on dirt half the time. Yeah. I will say there's something about playing a big-time football game in New York City just because it's such a rare occurrence, yeah. like within the confines of New York City. Yeah. All your NFL action happens in New Jersey. Um, it's it's pretty cool to be right there in the city. I think
1: that's the other reason that they're playing this game, Seth, that Notre Dame is playing this game is because I think that is a big selling point to recruits, the travel. you know, they, they go to California every Thanksgiving because on even-numbered years, they play USC there, and on odd-numbered years, they go to the Bay Area and play Stanford. Um, They played a game in San Diego this year against Navy. They play these Shamrock Series games. They're playing in Dublin next year. Either next year or the year after, they're playing Navy in late August. They're going to start the season a week early and play in Dublin. So I I think for certain kids, I think they see it as a chance to, especially kids who don't get to travel. Let's face it, a lot of these kids come from backgrounds. They don't have the means to travel a lot. They're going to get to see a lot of really cool places. And I know this is the new Yankee Stadium, but old Yankee Stadium was a, a pretty traditional college football venue back in the yeah, day. It was
0: uh, and you hearken back to when the Army the, and, and the NFL teams yeah. used to play at the the polo grounds. Um let's see. You were good last night, Seahawks minus two and yeah, a I'm half 1 and over 0. the Packers. So I've
1: matched my win total from last week already.
0: That was that was almost the poster child of Green Bay Packers games oh, last especially night. Especially this season. That was brilliance by Aaron Rodgers, um, but ineptness at times on defense, uh, getting physically manhandled against a run up the middle, and just not being able to play a complete game around Aaron Rodgers. Well, he was absolutely phenomenal.
1: And Mike McCarthy just yeah. taking dead aim at his big touch. Like Mike McCarthy punting on fourth and two with only one time left. Yeah. Against a team that likes to pound the football, Uh,
0: against a team that's kind of physically worn you down over the course of the football game, everything like from an analytical side to a mental side to a to a a physical beating side, all of that seemed like the wrong move not to go for it on fourth and two. Yep. I also my one takeaway from that game, and this has been over the last couple weeks, I'm (laughs) I'm all for the new catch rule, and I'm glad that it's easier to uh, to catch a football than yeah. it used to be. But man, it seems like in the last few weeks and then that more reception last night in the yeah. third quarter um by the more of the Seahawks. I the, the, there's so many catches that definitely 100% wouldn't have been catches last
1: That's year. That's one of them.
0: The, and where they seem to be erring on the side of giving the catches if the ball is moving but it's relatively secured. Right. Like the ball doesn't need to be secured anymore. It needs to be relatively secured. Like for an instant and if you take one step, then they're they're calling it a catch. There's no
1: chance that that would have been a catch last year, and even the one where McCarthy couldn't challenge it because he had burned two of his timeouts already. But the locket catch that set Seattle's go ahead touchdown yep. up was was a little sketchy. I think it was a catch, and I and I definitely think it was a catch according to the rules this year. But the thing was moving a little bit. You couldn't see if it was still moving as he was sliding out of bounds because there was just an obstruction in the way, and and McCarthy didn't challenge it anyway, so it was it became irrelevant. But um, I like it. I, I like that more things are. It, it's to me catches have always been like uh, like the old uh, the old pornography thing. The it's the a, Supreme Court rolling Supreme out pornography. Court pornography. You know it when you see it. You know it. a catch you when you see it. Yeah. yeah,
0: and that's where Okay, it's a catch. Enough is enough. It's a catch. That's it, man. And it's a. I think now you've seen them call it to the to the side where I think a lot of people, if it goes against your team, like you saw Mike McCarthy last night after that more reception, he was PO'd about it. But it's funny. that It started last year, though. You remember in the Super Bowl, um, the one catch in the end zone, because it, it was right after – Corey it, Clement? Yeah, it was – Back of the end zone? Yes, because it, it looked almost like a similar circumstance to when Jesse James in the regular season yeah. didn't quite clutch it completely. Oh,
1: you're talking about the one uh, – okay, you're you're talking about the one at right at the goal line. Yes, yes, okay, yeah, I'm it think, wasn't I'm, Clement. I'm, I'm, think, right. I'm thinking of Clement in the back of the end zone. Yeah. You're, you're thinking. I think it was Zach Ertz. Was it not?
0: It was Zach Ertz because yeah. it was a tight end. It was yeah. everything. Yeah, it was. Yeah. It was very very. Yeah, similar. yeah, 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 yeah. Um, I so I think they started calling it that way almost like before they changed the rule. I'm okay with it. The other thing that I'm okay with mm-hmm. that you would think I wouldn't be okay with, right. is that because of the tackling rule, these tight ends and running backs, when they get down the middle of the defense, the run after the catch, they just barrel over these defensive backs. Yeah. And I find it entertaining. Yeah. Like Because defensive backs, the poor little guys aren't allowed to lower their head. They just kind of have to take the brunt of it. And you end up with these manly-looking runs yeah. that are aided by the rules. But I'm okay with it. I feel like they should go
1: to the next level with that. And for years, the, the for years the marketing advantage went to the defensive players because the NFL would put out all those VHS tapes and DVDs of crunching hits, and all the offensive players were like dummies in this thing. And yeah. all the defensive players got all the shine. Ronnie Lott, man, he he made his whole reputation being he was like half the video on some of those things. Jack Tatum and guys like that. I feel like not only. Not only am I happy for those offensive players, the NFL needs to start marketing the crunching bowl overs of these defensive the, players. Uh,
0: yeah. Travis Kelsey. There are your,
1: reparations, man. Yeah. Reparations for offensive players. <laughs>
0: Gronkowski especially. <laughs> yes. Because Gronk has gotten the shack treatment all these marketing years. Marketing reparations, stuff doesn't get called, baby. And now if, you, if he's ever healthy again yep. when he starts You're bowling right. over people. <laughs> if he's ever healthy again. Uh, yeah. That actually, that's a good segue into the Panthers and the Lions yeah. because Eric Reid got penalized for that hit on Ben Roethlisberger, uh, last week, yeah, and honestly, I I side with Eric Reed on that one. I don't think he should have gotten suspended. I understand that you have to flag it and maybe issue a fine, but Ben Roethlisberger. This is what you have to know about Ben Roethlisberger, Sean. When you see him on the field in a football uniform, you are totally unprepared for how big he is. He's gigantic, like And then he's running around in the backfield. Like you get deep in the backfield, and all of a sudden he's running away from you. It doesn't look like he should be able to. He's huge. Yeah. So when he's running down the field. On that Thursday night game where the Steelers just crushed the Panthers, Eric Reed's running at him as fast as he can, and then because that's what you have to do—you're yeah. not allowed to lower your helmet or anything—and then Roethlisberger drops at the last moment, and it was just kind of one of those classic instances where, like, Eric Reed wasn't intending to go low no, on him or anything.
1: I, I think that's the thing—that's that's the the bad thing about being able to go back and watch and parse out everything frame by frame—is that everybody assumes. That you can just volunteer. Everybody assumes that any everything that goes into that play and that hit was was totally voluntary.
0: And uh, right, voluntary and predictable. Yeah, yeah. Like like, I don't know. I don't know if Roethlisberger is going to slide there. He was like he's six foot six in the air up until right before he dropped.
1: And there's some self defense that I would think goes into it. You obviously know better than I do. Haven't been haven't played. But I I've always felt like these rules where they're trying to they're trying to crack down on defensive players hurting. Defenseless, air quotes, offensive players that if they're trying to eradicate a certain kind of behavior, does that not put the defensive player in harm's way? That all of a sudden they're out there thinking, oh, I've got to do, I've got to pull up, I've got to do this, I've got to do that. They're kind of forfeiting their bodies at that point,
0: right? You're just giving your chest up yeah. almost. Like I'm turning myself into the bullet catcher. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. I'm, not, like I'm that fat guy catching the cannonball. Uh,
1: or you're trying, <laughs> or you're, or you're trying to avoid a guy or whatever, and who knows what? Who who knows what type of peril gets comes into that? So yeah, I'm 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 with you.
0: So what I'd say is I, I see that you're choosing the Panthers. In this game, Panthers minus four over Lions. Uh, The reason I brought up that last game was that I think that because Thursday night football games have been as good as they've been this year, people forget that it still is a little bit of a wild card in terms of preparation and performance no doubt that some teams are just going to be better prepared for it especially at home because that game that game was in Pittsburgh it was yeah yeah. Yeah. um so Pittsburgh just crushed the Panthers they put up what 52 points yeah 52 21 and and I wonder if that's affected some people's perception of of how the Panthers actually are as a football team. no
1: doubt there there's definitely a recency bias you got to be really careful of that both ways you got to be really careful about it not just with the Panthers but anytime it's over four touchdowns, the margin of a game, yeah, and and this, and it's maybe not supposed to be that way. I mean, no NFL game is supposed to be a four touchdown game. But those are two teams that are generally thought of to be in that next tier of teams after the big three or four teams at the top, who we all know who they are. So you've got to look at it from both sides. Is there any recency baked into the lines for either of those teams? The Panthers are minus four over the Lions. The Steelers are minus six over the Jags. They're actually two very similar. Kind of games in that they're road favorites who are going against teams that are probably at a point where they're they're kind of circling the drain and cashing things in. Both the Lions and the Jags are three and six this year, and their coaches are under a lot of scrutiny and heat right now. I don't know if you saw Matt Patricia had the Lions practicing in the snow yesterday. He had oh, really? Them practicing oh. outdoors.
0: <laughs> After, and it's and it's in this situation where you trade away Golden Tate. You're obviously looking towards the future, and I think as, as football becomes more like baseball and basketball in some ways, I still don't know if football players are accustomed to this attitude of being sellers at the trade deadline. Yeah, you know, like yeah. uh, I just don't—they're not built that way. And when you're trying to be Joe Tough football coach, you're going to practice in the in the cold. Well, wait a second—you just traded away Golden Tate. Like, what are we really trying to accomplish here?
1: Well, and it's not like they're playing in Chicago this Sunday. Yeah. Their next four games are indoors.
0: Yeah, yeah. And, and so
1: they're practicing in the snow. So that, and ever since Patricia was chiding the media on their posture at the press conference, they've lost every game by double digits. So I, but of those two games, I, I just, I. I don't want to back a team that just won by 31 points mm-hmm. on a Thursday night. So the Panthers are the logical team to back from that standpoint because they, they should bounce back from that game, and the Lions, I think, are a, a bit of a train wreck right now. Let me now.
0: ask you this. Uh, the Panthers are 10-1 and against the spread following a straight-up loss. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the other – I can't remember which site I got this off of. The Lions are 3-10 and against the spread against a team with a winning record. When you listen to those two stats, I look at it and say, "Okay, ten and one against the spread following a straight-up loss for the Panthers." That means something to me because it's Cam Newton, it's Ron Rivera, it's the same guys. Detroit Lions, and I'm looking at stats that span over the last few seasons. Yeah. Do I do I actually put much credence into it when it's a brand new coaching staff? I
1: I think I think obviously there's obviously there's more to analyze there. I, there's two things that I think when I hear that stat. Like am, am I when you read that when you recite that stat to me, I go okay. D- Is there anything that's phony to that? The quarterback is a big part. It's always the quarterback and the head coach are the two things you look at. And the quarterback is a guy who's been there a long, long time and is a guy who, generally speaking, whether it's his fault or not, he has not done a lot of winning, winning there. and he's not a, Especially
0: versus winning teams. Yeah, and
1: he's not a guy who I'm super confident about backing in situations like that. I feel like that's the direction Kirk Cousins is kind of going in for me, too, where I just don't know if I can trust this guy yet in a big spot. The guy throws for 5,000 yards every year in Washington, and they're 8-8 eight and eight every year. Right. So can you trust him to make the proper decisions? I think Stafford is a lot like that too, and then I think there's just I the, let's face it, the Lions are a team that by and large has this general malaise over them. That there, my guess is there's not a lot of cultural belief in that building mm-hmm. in what they are also. So, I, whereas if you know, I guess Jim Caldwell would be the coach that was before Matt Patricia. If he were still there, then then I'm 100 percent buy in on that. Whereas. Whereas I'm, I'm probably still pretty close to 100 because Matt Patricia ain't doing it for me either, you know. From a, he, it's not, it's not Caldwell from a standpoint of the sample size. Yeah. But I'm still not even close to buying in on Matt Patricia as a coach. I think it's a good stat.
0: I like this Pat. Uh, I like this pick for you for the Panthers. Mm-hmm. The other one big factor that I saw was just that the Lions' defense. I think they're they're a very respectable pass defense. They're not good against the run. So you take Cam Newton, who's kind of gradually been declining and looking bit more like what you thought Cam Newton would be over the course of the season. Yeah, he's still a huge threat with his legs. So between McCaffrey, between Cam Newton, and all of that, I feel like they're they're the the wrong kind of balanced attack for the Detroit Lions yeah, defense. Yeah, and they
1: found a few more uh, playmakers. They used to have yeah. no playmakers for Cam. They, you know, Curtis Samuel and Greg Olson still making plays and. Uh, More the wide receiver. so they they've they found Funchess. You know they they found a few guys that can, that they found a few guys that do enough to open things up to where that helps the running game also.
0: So that leads us into since you're talking about Kirk Cousins, you've got yeah. the Bears minus two and a half over the Vikings. Yeah,
1: I forgot that was my third pick when I was giving you my Cousins take there, but that's a lot of why I'm why I'm taking the uh, I like. I like home favorites that are good teams when the spread is under a field goal. I took the Colts last week minus two and a half. They win by three. I took the Seahawks minus two and a half last night. They win by three. Generally speaking, unless it gets on a funky number, it's 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 uh, to the point where all they have to do is you're basically betting on the Bears to win the game yeah. more or less. Um, and I like them to, and to win it'll be the game. by
0: a football score, not a weird wonky score. Probably these, not, are, although there was two real football. Teams. There was a little
1: danger in that Seahawks game last night when the Seahawks cut it to twenty-one twenty mm-hmm. in the fourth quarter. Because then, when you're laying the two and a half, you're like, "Oh God, if they get the ball back, there especially a team like the Seahawks, it can grind the clock down to dust. They're going to go down, kick a field goal, win by two. You know." And
0: I don't think the weather's going to be a factor. here. It's a low of twenty-four. It's a night game, right? They flex this yeah. game. In Chicago, it
1: was supposed to be Pittsburgh and Jacksonville. They flexed that out, and they flexed this in.
0: Okay, so high of thirty-five, low of twenty-four in Chicago. Yep. Um, the Vikings. Pass offense obviously is very very scary, and like Adam yeah. Adam Thielen, four years from now will start to get the respect he probably deserves. <laughs> right? He'll over right. he'll overcome some of the things that are keeping him from getting that respect, I suppose. Um, well, but he'll still be white in four years. But he'll have overcome. Now look look, I'm I, we're on watch for Alex Smith this week. I, right. I'm monitoring it to see how many if if anybody is still saying, well, you know, Alex Smith is actually faster than you think he is. Yes. So like, well, I'm, I'm, why would I have any opinion that he wasn't fast? <laughs> right. He's a 215-pound dude. Yeah. And like uh, The only reason I wouldn't think he's fast is because he's white. Yep, Come on. Exactly. Um, but likewise for Adam Thielen, uh, I don't think people understand. I saw that from um, an old Vikings coach who was like, well, you know, he, he might not. It was, it was uh oh, but it was somebody that was, was involved. It, was when, it Billick? No, it wasn't Bill. No, no, no. It was somebody that was actually involved when they were scouting Adam Thielen. Oh. And they were like, well, he's not the fastest straight, straight line guy. I'm like yes, he is. You're like a four three something. Like what the hell are you talking about? So he is the fastest is straight so line great. guy, or at least one of them. Racism, um, <laughs> racism. Yep. So, uh, but I would say the other. So obviously, that's very scary. But they can't run the ball. The Vikings can't run the ball at all. They so can't. going versus a good defense at home, I feel like they're they're still way too one dimensional in that. The Bears' pass defense isn't as strong as their run defense, but they can they can plan and account for that because they don't have to worry about the run. Yeah,
1: absolutely. And I don't know if you know this, the last time the Bears played a home game on a Sunday night, their opponent was... The Houston, Texas? Oh, that, gosh, that was a long time ago. That was
0: a sloppy, sloppy field. 2012. If they fixed the field at Soldier Field, it doesn't seem like we've heard as much about it I, recently. It's a good question. I don't know. I yeah. guess they probably have because yeah. we haven't heard about we it. We haven't heard about it, yeah, but oh, I'm, I guess, I'm guessing
1: the atmosphere should be great on Sunday night at Soldier Field. That'll be a sauced up crowd.
0: I'm glad you brought that up. That's a college since crowd. We, uh, since we have about three minutes left, yeah. we should talk about Shakira Gate, which is the Mexico <laughs> yeah. City field, uh, the Mexico City game being cancelled. Yeah. I can't believe I didn't talk about this already this week. We didn't talk. You know what? We didn't talk about it on the on the air as much. I wanted to ask Michael Lombardi yesterday and I ran out of time. I wonder if somebody in the NFL office is going to get fired over this. Because they had time to get ahead of this. They would have known what the schedule was with Shakira and everything else. Like I'm shocked that in is what's is such a marquee event to begin with no matter who's playing. But then you've got two of the very best teams in the league showing showing down on a a showdown between those two teams. It seems like somebody should have figured this out ahead of time and like been ahead of the problem. Yeah. Unless it's just that impossible to work. My with biggest the reaction. There. My biggest
1: reaction was, "Wow, Shakira's still popular enough to fill up, st- uh, Estadio st- Azteca." I, huh? bet, I
0: wonder. She can't. She can't fill that many people here. Not a whole stadium. I
1: don't know. I uh, yeah. I'm 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 not sure. I was like, "Wow, Sh- Like, if you ask me, name ten concerts you think they sold out Estadio Azteca yeah. or whatever. I'm sure I'm butchering the pronunciation of it. Shakira would not have cracked my top ten. I'm gonna, 10.
0: I'm gonna tell you this, and uh, this is at the risk of making a whole bunch of generalizations, but in a positive direction. It seems to me with a lot of Latino music, it seems like there's more staying power yeah. and more like loyalty. Like we have Ramona Ella, we we do the Ramona Ella um intro to our. Friday segment for What's on Tap every Friday. And we get so much love from listeners (laughs) when they hear that. Like, they're so passionate about Roman Ayala, who's like, I'm guessing, like a 50, 60, 65, 70 year old Tejano. I don't know,
1: but that music makes me want to drink. Oh, it does, doesn't it? It just
0: makes you happy. Yeah. So I wonder if that between, like, I think Ricky Martin is still doing huge shows in Latin America. Yeah, you're
1: probably right. You're probably right. But that was, yeah, this is the second time, like, in a year. That that's happened. Remember, it happened in the Hall of Fame game last year. Uh-huh. The they in Canton. They the was NF- it a
0: concert that started or they had no? They the just game off?
1: they just had they called the game off because
0: the field was in horrible shape. I texted with Eric Winston because I wanted to verify this because I had said that look, if the this would have been a huge disaster. As I understand it, the union can call the game off without having to even consult with the NFL if they okay. don't want to. So if they'd gotten down there to Mexico City. And they had all of a sudden, if the union had decided that it wasn't safe, then everybody would have already been there. It would have been right beforehand. They would have had to reschedule the game or cancel it altogether. It would have been a disaster. Um, uh, Eric Eric told me that they have the ability to deem the field unplayable through a series of tests. But then he was very... I, I think he wanted to make very clear in Mexico City it didn't get to that point because the union and the NFL consulted each yeah. other after the initial overview and decided to move it. It was very much a joint determination. But the NFL had to worry about that. Yeah. That like, man, if the union decides to balk on this thing, it's going to be a bad, bad There was look. no
1: staring contest going on between the two sides. By the way, from a gambling standpoint, real quick, this game between the Chiefs and the Rams – has the highest posted total in the history of the NFL. Oh, really? 63 and a half points. No
0: kidding. And uh, there's no reason to believe it won't be just that.
1: The last five times that the NFL has had the highest posted total at the time, you know, that it's crept up and up and up, the total has gone over. I would like so to the see. The trend would be if you if if, the, if you like that trend, the trend would be to bet on over 63 and a half points. My
0: thing to closely monitor over the second half of the season is if the real Rams defense shows up. If, the one if we all of a sudden, it. yeah, if it starts to look like a more complete football team than it is right now, because that would make a huge difference.
1: Dante Fowler made a play for them in the last game. Right. He had some penalties too, but that that he'll be. My guess is he'll be a bit of a key to unlocking that because the edge is tough for them
0: right now. I, I wonder the staying power of that team on it in next season because it's a powder keg of personalities right now. It he already was. And when, wh- the, the guys that you brought in between, Aqib Talib, Marcus Peters, all these guys, and Dominic Nksu, who might not be there, um, but now also, <laughs> also Dante Fowler, who's well, just a train wreck in a lot of ways.
1: And the rookie contract for their quarterback is going to go away pretty soon. Yeah. He's going to be Jared Goff is going to be a 25 million dollar a year guy pretty soon.
0: A man who may or may not know where the sun rises in the morning. That's it's not and, necessary. It isn't going to get job. you and is not going to get you on the technicality of like, well, it's not actually rising the earth. Is, no, no, no. No, he not,
1: legit didn't know. We're
0: not sure he understands the heliocentric model. We <laughs> he, don't know. We don't le, know. He
1: legit didn't know. But now he's got Sean McVay to do all his thinking That's for a him. good point. Yeah. All right, thanks man. Hi, right, buddy.
0: <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Shawnee, for that. I have a bunch of questions left over from the ones I had requested yesterday for you guys to send me for the podcast. I'm going to go ahead, since we're running right up to the 45-minute mark here, and plan on doing those tomorrow. I'll just do a QA and a session. The one that I'm most intrigued by is Clint Shanes when he asked what he probably thought was a question I wouldn't answer but that I'm going to tackle with ferocity and research, which is what kind of bear is the best kind of bear. And I'm not gonna limit it to just, uh, I'm not gonna limit it to just the the zoological bears. I'm gonna include mascots, um, other cultural terms for bear, everything that you can think of. I I will assign a power ranking to bears in general, and I'll have an exhaustive and authoritative list tomorrow. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Please subscribe on iTunes. um, Subscribe on radio.com especially. My bosses love that. Give it a five-star rating. That would be super. And uh, also tell your friends about it. It's an enjoyable listen, and uh, Seth's a great guy. Have a great weekend, everybody.